Welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Vaughn. I am recording today from my parents' home in Twain Heart, California. They're away and my oldest is babysitting their fur babies. So I came up with my son to help celebrate his birthday while my middle child destroys the house back at home, more than likely. Um, Twain Heart, for those who don't know, is basically up in the mountains. It's like this quaint little town, lots of trees, hiking, feels a lot like Tahoe. And we're about 20 minutes from a ski resort, although all the snow has melted. It reminds me a lot of Stars Hollow from the Gilmore Girls. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Stars Hollow. Yeah. It's like a population of about 2,500. When you go to the local diner, everyone knows your name, that kind of place. Like everywhere we drive, everybody waves and smiles. It's amazing. It's the best feeling. I don't get that where I live normally, but here it's part of the norm. So we're up here for a few days, just a nice little getaway. Um, Just a couple of things before I get to our guest today. So two weeks ago, I had uploaded a podcast about Lee McMillan, the YouTuber who had taken her life. And she was very, very close with another very popular van life couple, Eamon and Beck. And Eric and I have been watching them. I don't even know how we started watching them. It was part of our Sunday. They always say, see a Sunday. They actually have sweatshirts that say that. And they ended up moving to Canada. They weren't van lifing anymore. They bought a cabin. So we've been watching them renovate this cabin. You know, they're young. They're in their late 20s and they're they're kind of like killing it. So I've been really kind of obsessed with them. And then Lee passed away. She took her life. And that's when she was on my radar because they had talked about her. And it was like, I remember when I first saw the picture on Instagram, they had showed a picture of them in the back of the van, like one of those shots where the back doors are open and it's like them all three piled on each other laying on the bed. I thought that it was a joke about them having like a threesome with somebody. And then I read what they had written and I was like this, oh my God, this girl took her life, but I had no idea what had happened. And of course, the more I looked into it, it was so tragic and shocking because she had jumped in front of a train, which is just it has to be the worst way to go. I just, again, can't comprehend how she did this. And so I've been a little obsessed with it. You know, I've been doing a deep dive into her videos and I did a YouTube video on it that's had some attention. And I did, of course, that podcast. So then I had put a post up on last Sunday on my HIV account. And it was a TikTok that I had done. And in one of the hashtags I had written, speak up for Lee, because why not? I'm dealing with HIV and how it affects people and their mental health. And I'm trying to promote and help people understand that you can live a really normal life, a healthy life physically and mentally with it if you want to. So that's sort of always been my message. And so I did use that hashtag. So I decided to check my Instagram while I'm watching Eamon and Beck's newest video, on Lee. They did a video about her. It was so emotional. I was, yeah, it's really hard to watch it. You know, and I don't even know this girl and I'm upset. These people know her, you know, and I don't like, they're not going to ever get that phone call from her anymore. It's over. For me, I can go to YouTube and put her on. She's all over the place. Like for me, I'm not feeling that loss so much because she's not physically in my life in any way. So it's really weird as a spectator of YouTube to really get that clear feeling because we can still, we have so much access to her. It feels like she's still here, but obviously people that know her that are in her life um, feel the loss much more deeply because they can't contact her anymore, obviously. And so anyways, I'm watching their video and I open up my Instagram and I just happen to notice, I see their little picture in my notifications, Eamon and Beck. It's like a picture of them with like those I don't know that all the van lifers wear these like suede hats. It's kind of like a thing that they, they have, they have them hanging in their vans. It's kind of like the cool thing to have these light beige hats. Anyway. So it, it, the picture stood out to me right away. It was in the notifications and I'm like, Oh my God, they liked my post. Amen. What? Like, Oh, what? I mean, I'm sorry, but I full on fangirled. Like I was freaking out. So I decide to like put that on my Instagram story right then and there. I thought I'm going to like put this on my story and I'm going to tell them like, I just got their like, and I can't like, I can't. And what's going through my mind is, oh my God, did they see my YouTube video? And now I'm on the radar or did they hear my podcast and, and they're following me? They're not following me. 
And then I realized probably more than likely what it was is that it was the hashtag speak up for Lee and they saw they saw my video and so they clicked it. Regardless, they saw my video. Like and they liked it. Like I don't know. Just totally freaked me out. So I decided to put that in my story about how I'm feeling in that moment, seeing their like, and I I of course I added them in the story. And they saw that too. <laughs> just died. Like Eamon and Beck also got to see my reaction to me knowing that they liked my post. Like, and they didn't comment or anything. I'm sure they're not wanting to deal with a bunch of people right now. You know, they're going through their own um, loss right now, but it was just a really uh, kind of surreal thing to have this little virtual connection for, you know, a moment. It was really, it was really special. So I just wanted to say that. And then Sometimes I type little notes about things that I want to talk about in the podcast. And um, this is just one that I really find very kind of funny. And it really does happen literally every single day. So on my phone, when I type the word HIV, which I do many times a day for whatever reason, like if it's just, you know, something to do with advocacy or, you know, it's always like a comment I'm writing back to somebody or I'm, who knows, hashtagging, whatever. Whenever I write HIV, I swear it happens 98% of the time. It types HUV and it makes me crazy. Like, I'm like, no, I do not know me by now. Like, I'm like, my phone, hello. Why do you hate me? Like, I do not understand it. And I always think my phone has stigma. Like, it will not write the word HIV. So I put this on a post an Instagram or a story and Brittany Ann Blakely wrote, she goes, the same thing happens to me. And of course she has HIV. So we just feel like our phones hate us or they have stigma. It's just the funniest phenomena. It's like, uh, I think it should have picked up by now that I know, I mean, HIV, I don't mean HUV. I don't even know what that is. It's HIV. Like, come on, get with it. Like I need to like somehow program this into my Google account. So it will just accept it because it, definitely does not want me to write that out. It's really, really funny. So, okay. So on with the show. If you um, follow me, you will know that my husband, Eric, has been very outspoken about my HIV status and what it is to him and being married to me um, as a woman living with HIV. Well, believe it or not, he is not the only man out there who is dating an HIV positive woman. And today my guests are here to talk about their journey with disclosure, how my guest Ashley was able to disclose to her boyfriend about her HIV status. She'll also get into her story about how she found out that she had HIV. So I am very excited to bring you this interview today. I think it will be very enlightening for those that aren't dealing with HIV in any way, but I think it touches also along the lines of just disclosure in general for those who have an STI that they want to share with their partner. I think it's really important for people to understand, first of all, how hard it is for that partner to share that information. And it really speaks to Jim. You will see on how you can take that information and be very kind with it. And it doesn't have to be this awful experience. Turn that volume up, get ready to leave that stigma at the door. Please welcome Ashley and Jim. All right. Well, welcome Ashley and Jim to my podcast. I want to thank you both for taking the time to talk about a topic that most won't. And as we know, the fear of this virus and the stigma surrounding it literally shames people into silence. So I applaud you both, honestly, so much for sharing your story today and using your real first names. Like I wasn't sure you were going to do that. And you guys decided that you wanted to. So, you know, that's, that's huge. So um, you're my first zero discordant or zero different couple on my podcast. So, and for those that don't know what that means, it means that, um, one of the partners is HIV negative and the other partner is HIV positive. So thank you so much for being with me, you guys. Thank you. We are very excited. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. So I, I think I was like thinking this through and kind of, uh, wondering how we should like approach this. And I think what's really important is to kind of start from the beginning and if you want to go through your story and share how did you find out everything that you want to share feel free to go forward and tell us that yeah absolutely so uh, my story started back in 2016 and I was living and working in Atlanta Georgia at the time and I actually have a healthcare background so I was working in a hospital there in Atlanta uh, working with immunocompromised patients at the time ironically uh, and because of that, that's important because uh, since my patients were a high risk population, all of the employees and staff had their blood work 
on file. So we would get vaccinations at work and, and kind of all of that really similar to COVID protocols right now uh, was commonplace for me in my job at the time. So I was absolutely 100% positive that I was HIV negative because the blood work I had on file at work proved that. And so uh, fast forward I, X amount of time, I had been working there for a few years um, and I started dating somebody. And then uh, it was probably pretty soon afterwards, maybe like a month to six weeks afterwards. Um, he had texted me one day and I was at work. I remember exactly what I was doing. And he said, um, do you have HIV? And so immediately like red alert, red alert, probably the worst feeling of all time. And I obviously knew that I hadn't. So for me, I instantly was like, wow, okay, this guy's trying to tell me something because I know I don't have HIV and I know I didn't give it to him. And so I ended up going to get tested and I had uh, ended up being positive for gonorrhea, which if anybody that knows anything about HIV, which at the time I actually did already know a fair amount working with the population of patients that I did. And so I knew that it was kind of a piggyback type of situation. And because I had just tested positive for gonorrhea, that I was likely to test positive for HIV. And about two days later, I was driving down the highway in downtown Atlanta and my doctor called me and instead of giving me results over the phone, he said, Hey, do you think you can just swing on by for a minute? And in that exact moment, I thought, oh my God, I have HIV. I know that's what he's telling me. That's why he won't tell me on the phone. It's got to be that. That has to be what's happening. Oh my God, my life is over. And I went straight to the clinic and that's exactly what he told me. Wow. Do you remember that moment? How did you feel when you heard those three letters? Um, Well, (laughs) it's not really like the PC way to say this, but I truly felt like my, uh, stomach was falling out of my ass at the moment Mm -hmm. like it was just Mm -hmm. it's almost unexplainable it it was just instantly traumatic and like oh my god I wow this is real and kind of all you think of at least for me in that moment was okay I know this is bad and I know this doesn't go away so that was kind of all that my thoughts were revolving around at the time yeah I was wondering what did you know about HIV before I actually had some HIV positive patients. So that is what uh, opened my mind up to wanting to learn more about advancements and how things had changed because I was born in the eighties. So I grew up kind of at the height of the stigma and everything else. So that's all I had known myself. So as soon as I started working with those patients, I was like, okay, well, some of these are of an older age group or just, you know, completely different demographics because it's a hospital. So you have people from all walks of life there. So that's where it kind of started to open my mind up a little bit that some of these people that I knew were positive didn't look the way that very stereotypically you would expect everybody to look. So that's what, when I started to research and I'm like, okay, well, they're on medicine. Like some of them were really young, but some of them were much older, which, you know, I didn't read a whole lot about it, but I knew obviously what they're taking must be working because there were people in their fifties and sixties that were HIV positive and were just fine. Right. And so you must've just contracted it. Yes, I had just. Mm -hmm. Okay. So did you, what happened with him? Did you confront him? I did. And immediately it was, Oh no, you gave that to me. You, I, I didn't do that. That's not what happened. And it was extremely frustrating because the whole time I'm sitting there like, yeah, dude, you did do this. I know you did. And I am probably one of the rare people because of my, uh, what I did for work that I have proof that you did this because I knew I wasn't positive prior. It just pissed me off so bad and I couldn't do anything about it. Did you feel like, I mean, I, I talk about this all the time through my advocacy about, you know, women transmitting to men and how uncommon that is. And I mean, I lived it. So many of the women in our group have lived through the same experience. Do you know um, what his um, preference was for partners? Do you feel like he might've been bisexual? I think he was, we never spoke about it because he refused to even like go down that path with me Mm -hmm. of just having like an honest and open conversation about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He absolutely refused. So I never, really got his insight or any, anything from his side. But from my perspective, I think that's probably exactly what he was doing. Um, Because I guess I can't quite explain it, but the way that we were communicating 
as I was finding out that I was positive and kind of this back and forth blame game that we were playing, Mm -hmm. I suppose uh, the way he would word things to me made it abundantly clear that he already knew that, that he, that he knew, he he knew exactly what was going to happen long before I did. Mm -hmm. Was it just one time or were you dating? Uh, It was, I thought we were going to be dating. Um, Mm -hmm. We slept together twice. Wow. That that'll freak people out because they always talk about the statistics and how it's, you know, it takes so many times basically until it's really like a a possibility. Of course it can always happen the first time, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was exposed to the person I was with for eight months and looking back on when I zero converted and we'd been together, like, you know, condomless sex for eight months, he lived with me. And I don't think I can zero converted until the very end of our relationship. Cause I remember those symptoms and I'm like, Hey, I was exposed for eight months to this person. And, you know, it just kind of proves again, even with, um, male to female, how rare it can be, you know? So, um, Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, some people just, it happens sooner. And like you said, you had another STI. So you feel like that probably was the gateway. Yes, I think it was. Um, it just, it seemed kind of strange that I would have just suddenly had both at the same time had two. Did you feel any symptoms of HIV or was it just like you got the diagnosis and you had never felt anything? I never felt a single thing. And that's Jim and I talk about that. Like, honestly, thank God uh, that he told me because I never would have known. I never felt any differently. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known until honestly, my next uh, thing for work probably six months later or a year later, or if I would have left that job, who knows how long, because even when you get regularly tested, if you don't specifically ask for them to do a full panel or to test for HIV, they don't do it. Right. So because I had no symptoms, I probably just would have been like happily floating through life um, until something went awry to make me think otherwise. So even though I really struggled through that situation and the way things unfolded. It really was a big blessing for me because I found out so quickly. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, Everybody comes at it from different perspectives. There's some people that are born with it. Some people that end up with AIDS, some people that are diagnosed soon like yourself and never feel anything. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's a, we all look at it a different way. And I always think that if I had been in your situation, I don't think I ever would have talked about it. It was because I like was on my deathbed and then got Mm -hmm. to feel normal again, that I felt this urge to talk about it. But I, I don't know that I would have had I not gotten sick. So I'm always kind of like in a weird way, grateful that I got really sick because it, you know, gave me that that um, urge to talk about it publicly. So, okay. So you're diagnosed and then Mm -hmm. what's your next step? Do you call anybody and tell them or how did you handle that? Oh my God. Well, I didn't handle it well. I'll be totally honest with you. (laughs) As I mentioned, I was living in Atlanta, which is not where I'm from. I don't have family there. I just had moved there after college to kind of start something new. Um, And so I quickly uh, really fell apart. The first thing that I realized was, oh my God, uh, this is going to come out at my job. Like it's, they're going to know eventually whether I tell them, or if I just wait for this to come out at my next, uh, you know, blood work session and act like I don't know one way or another, they're going to find out. And that was traumatizing for me. So I quit my job. Mm, My gosh. I just, I was like that. I can't do that. Like this is changing my whole life way too quickly. And I can't deal with that on top of all this. Would it have been an issue in hindsight, looking back on it? I don't know if it would have been an issue in terms of maintaining my employment, um, but just the social issue of that for me was more than I was willing to even attempt to go through of other people knowing. That's drastic and so heartbreaking that you felt that you needed to take that step. Really? Oh my gosh. It it was. I mean, and it was probably, I am a super spontaneous person. And sometimes that backfires when I get something in my head, that's, I just do it. And I kind of think later. So there probably was a better way to handle that at the time. That that was what I did. I just, you know, like fight or flight. That's what I did. I understand that though. You feel like it's like you're, it's changing your life completely. You feel, and then you just kind of like act on that. Um, How old were you at the time when you were diagnosed? I was 27. Okay. All right. So you quit your job in Atlanta. And then yes. what happens? Um, I had not told anybody, but I called my dad uh, back in Denver and I said, dad, I really need to come home. And I said, I quit my job. I'm coming home. Can I move back into my old bedroom where I grew up? And 
I think he knew like what the heck is going on. Like, you know, something is up. This is just very bizarre. Um, so of course he said, well, absolutely. You know, you can come home anytime. This is always your room. Um, and so I had told him that I would be moving home the week of father's day that summer. And he actually ended up flying out there and helping me drive home. So I think he sensed that something was probably wrong the mm-hmm. way that I handled all of that and realized that I didn't want to share with him yet. But mm-hmm. it it was significant for me that he uh, helped me move home because we actually don't have the best relationship, my dad and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was kind of like a moment where he recognized something. He just didn't know what it was yet. And so I did end up disclosing to him probably a little over a year after I had moved home. Oh, wow. You really waited. Yeah. I didn't tell anybody for quite some time. Um, my dad knows and my younger sister knows, but neither of them knew right away. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine living like so many people do that. Like I told everybody, I made phone calls immediately. I can't even imagine like holding that in. What was that like going through that without like sharing that with anybody? Well, it was horrible. Um, there was one person that knew, and that was in Atlanta, my very next door neighbor, She and I had, we were quite close, but we also worked together. She uh, worked in healthcare as well. And we worked at the same clinic. So I told her the day that I got diagnosed because I was at work and I just could not hold it together. So being my friend, obviously she knew something was wrong. So I took her out in the parking lot during lunch at work and I told her and broke down sobbing. So she was the only person that knew. And looking back now, like what an angel of that's a huge burden of information to share with somebody. And she knew that she was the only one that I had told. Wow. Oh my God. For about that first year, she was the only one that knew. And even after I had moved back home, uh, she would text me and call me and check up on me. She would ask about my appointments. She was also quite knowledgeable about HIV at the time, bless her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she was really my lifeline because she made me feel like it was totally okay. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And to find that, like for the first person that you speak to, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was very lucky in that. Yeah. Cause typically the first person we reach out to is like most people, they are in shock and can't believe it. And you know, in my they case, know nothing they, about it. Yeah. They know nothing about it. In my case, they thought there had to be some kind of error, you know, they, you've got to test again. There's just no way this can be positive. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, in my mind, I was like it, well, it's got to be because <laughs> this is something, something's going on. So you, um, you're living in Atlanta, about a year and a half has gone by at this point. And um, are you working again? No. Uh, so I guess I didn't uh, tell that story linearly. I had gotten uh, first diagnosed in April and I moved home in June. So mm-hmm. about two months later, I left Atlanta. I did not stay very long after I was diagnosed. I was very quickly spiraling out of control. And that's when I realized I need to be by my family. I need a support system um, and not necessarily with people that I wanted or was ready to share with yet, Mm -hmm. but just people that I knew would love me and support me and kind of give me that environment uh, that I needed, even though I wasn't ready to share yet. So I did not stick around Atlanta long at all. I was like, peace out. I hate this place. <laughs> yeah. I've never been to Atlanta except for the airport. Um, did you get any kind of like counseling? No, I did not. Um, so when I moved back to Denver, I went to the doctor and it didn't, you know, it didn't get much easier for me right away here either because I ended up being an elite controller But because of that, they had a really hard time with my blood work, actually giving me a truly positive diagnosis. About half of the doctors uh, at the clinic thought I had HIV and half of them thought I didn't. And that happened in Atlanta and as well back here in Denver. So as I mentioned, I moved back over Father's Day weekend in June, Mm -hmm. but I did not get a true positive diagnosis where they could confirm it until December 19th. Wow. Wow. So all that time you're in limbo kind of. Yes. Spiraling out of control more so because, you know, obviously that's just the craziest thing I've ever heard about my life. And if it's true, it's never going back. Uh Um, and, and so, yeah, the whole time I'm just like absolutely a freaking mess and I'm doing blood work just way more than I ever would have thought I needed to do blood work in my life just to get a positive diagnosis. So So the antibodies not even showing up. No. No, things were all over the place. And that's why it was so confusing for me because 
you know, I knew enough about HIV to kind of understand how it worked, but I certainly am not a researcher. I don't know all of the things that they know, so they couldn't make sense of it. How the heck am I supposed to? Right. Did they, did they put you on medication during that time? No. So you were not medication for those six months or so? No. That's what I was going to ask. And so when you, so they felt like you were an, an elite controller, um, but you did eventually go on medication, I'm assuming. I did. Yes. I started medication the first week of February. Did it feel sort of like, what's the point if I'm, it's hardly showing up and I'm, or did you, be, were you like, I really want to get on this as soon as possible? I just kept thinking, how the hell am I ever going to date? without being on medication, like who it's hard enough to get someone to keep talking to you when you tell them you have HIV, let alone to come with this whole story of, well, I'm special and my body regulates HIV on its own. So I don't actually need to take anything. Like, let me blow some more smoke for you because no one is going to believe that. So I just kept thinking, please, God, give me these, this medicine, because I want to find a husband. Like I can't be alone forever. (laughs) Okay, so you had um, sort of tested the waters before you met Jim then. How did that go? (laughs) Not great most of the time. Um, So Jim and I have only, we just started dating in this past year. So I had, gosh, we'll say four, four solid years to try and navigate the world with HIV. And sometimes it was okay, but I would say more than half of the time it was pretty rough. Mm. What was a typical reaction? Well, the one thing that was consistent, no one was ever rude or mean to my face or would say anything uh, like over the phone to me, nothing like that. They would all take it well to my face or, you know, I just need some time to think on it or learn some more, whatever, in, in a nice, acceptable way to say that. And then if they were going to get nasty, it was always afterwards and through like text message or something. No one ever would do anything like that to my face. But if they were going to be mean, it would be in texts or they would just completely ghost me and block me afterwards. Well, that's, that's a little comforting. I mean, honestly, I mean, it, you know, and it's true. I think people definitely are polite in person and wouldn't just get up and throw their drink and say, I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> oh my God. I can't breathe the same air as you. Let me walk away. I know. Okay. And Jim, we are going to get to you, but I just had a question no, I'm no, I'm fine. about U equals you. Did you know about U equals you when you were diagnosed? Um, I don't think I did. No. Hmm. So you found out about it through the internet? Yes. Mm. So your doctor never, did your doctor ever bring it up? No. And actually she still has not. I, um, luckily I have a pretty strong personality. So as soon as I, it, it did take me a while, but as soon as I was able to like come to terms with my diagnosis and get on treatment and feel comfortable that I truly could live a normal life, then I started being a lot more, um, vocal about what I did and didn't want to do. And I am also lucky. I think I have a great doctor and anybody who knows anything about Colorado, my doctor is in Boulder. It's a little bit more of like a hippie, um, natural oriented part of the state. And so my doctor is really on board with most things that I want to do, but she has never brought up U equals U to me. And so anytime we talk about, you know, how often I have sex or who I'm having sex with, I very openly tell her, no, we don't use condoms. I almost have kind of wanted her to push back on that a little bit, just so I could approach that U equals U conversation from a more organic standpoint, because I know, of course it's true. I want her to tell me that also, right? but she hasn't. And so I just, I keep wondering, well, what if I wasn't me? What if I was somebody else and you never told me about U equals U? What if I never knew that? I would still be sitting here thinking I can't have a normal sex life with somebody that I love and care about because I might give them HIV. If they don't tell you, not everybody is going to go self-educate to the extent that some will. And it's an awkward conversation because I am in the same boat as you. And I love my doctor. She's been there from the very beginning. 
And I told her about the campaign when yeah. Bruce and I first talked, it was like December of 2016. I was diagnosed in 2016 as well. And um, I was like, wow, I've had this for 10 months and I had no idea that this even existed, that if you're undetectable, you can't transmit the virus. I, I definitely, and Eric and I both felt that this was basically impossible anyways, because he didn't get it from me after a year of us being together and I had a high viral load. So Mm -hmm. You know, our thought always was, well, obviously, if, you know, he didn't get it, then why would he get it if I'm undetectable? So we already kind of like figured that out, but we didn't have anything, you know, solid, any scientific, you know, knowledge Proof behind to back it. That. I, I did. I knew about the partner study. I mean, I knew that information was coming out, but it wasn't until I spoke to Bruce that it was like this, it was this big moment. Like, I know exactly where I was sitting when he told me and I was like, I can't wait to tell my doctor about being part of this, you know, campaign about getting the word out about this. And she wasn't on board. And I, it's very, it's a hard conversation. We don't talk about it. It's become one of those, we've both, I think, agreed to not talk about it because in her, you know, mind, she feels that although the science is there, the more people don't protect themselves, there's a risk for other STIs to increase. And I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm like, so what you deal with antibiotics? Like, so what, <laughs> you know, I don't oh know. Oh my gosh. Maybe. That just, that infuriates me because well, yes, I understand her point of view. I, I, that's very valid. Mm-hmm. What, as someone who doesn't have HIV, what she doesn't understand is by withholding that she is literally putting someone's life in the balance because to get a diagnosis like HIV is not taken lightly. And when someone thinks that they could still be a risk to other people, mm-hmm. they might not want to stick around anymore. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, to withhold that information because you think pipe people might have more risky sexual behavior is withholding information that could keep someone from taking their life. It's paternalism. It is. And, and yeah, they, it, it completely changes somebody's life to have that information. If they didn't know it before, there's people that have had this for 30 years that didn't know that they weren't a threat when they were right. and how it I mean, it's really, life. it's the lifeline of saying you can have a normal life with HIV. Mm-hmm. Totally. So if someone doesn't know that, it still seems like this crazy, horrible, scary thing that it's yeah. not anymore. And I've had people that say, you know, you should change your doctor. You should have this conversation. And I'm like, you know, when you're in that little room with them alone, you kind of don't want to tell your doctor something. You know, <laughs> right. about your profession. I didn't go to med school. <laughs> exactly. It's a really awkward conversation. So I choose not to talk about it, but it's fine. You know, I she does understand. And she also, you know, says to me, well, Jennifer, not everybody's like you you're really consistent with your medication. She goes, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people with HIV who aren't, you know, in care or they're just not um, taking their medication like they should. And they could, you know, increase their viral load and become detectable and then transmit. So, and that's another thing that came up in the conferences about U equals U is that, you know, you have to give the responsibility to the patient. You have to at least give them that option. You can't take yes. it from them. No, you can't make that choice for them. Right. So, okay. So you, you did find out through the internet about you equals you good. It's working. I'm glad to know that social media is making an impact on those with um, yes. HIV. It really is. And I noticed that I've had a lot less people arguing with me about it. Like when we first went out with you equals you, there was so much pushback. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, I can't believe the people that come back to me who are not HIV positive, they say, <laughs> Oh yeah. When you're undetectable, you can't transmit it. And it's like so refreshing to know that I didn't have to educate that person. They already right. knew it. Like, they oh, knew that already. It's amazing. Yeah. We like, don't have to fight about surely. this. Yeah, it's, a, it's really like so refreshing to see that people are actually, this information's getting out. Because I guess, you know, if I didn't have HIV, would I ever even hear about any of this? I don't know. I mean, I'm part of all the hashtags that are HIV. So of course it's in my face all the time. But is the general public really hearing about this? I don't know. No. It could just, we talk about that, that it's, we might just be speaking on our circles constantly. Like we're trying to get outside of our bubbles to get, you know, the information out. But if you're not living in the world with HIV, you might not be really hearing this. It's not, you know, it's not like it's um, on every commercial you watch or anything like that. So my goodness, no, yeah. it is so isn't. I, I think that too. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's only my bubble, my people that know yeah. But anybody outside of this this common uh, thing that we share is pretty uneducated. At least that I've found. They yeah. just they don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it's so true. Okay, so I want <laughs> Jim. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jim. <laughs> well, to be Welcome a part to of it. Ashley. I feel Jennifer like I'm show. contributing. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear about this because I'm, you know I'm changing I'm, uh, minds. <laughs> yeah, my so, as you know, my husband Eric has been 
thankfully okay with being public about this. And, you know, a lot of people look at him and think, oh my God, this guy's crazy and whatever. But mm. uh, I, what I want people to know is that he is not the only HIV negative man with an HIV positive woman. This, this exists, this is a thing. So I am so happy that you decided to come out and speak about it because a lot of partners don't want to because you're like associated with somebody with HIV and then that puts a label on you as well. So it's, there is this fear about being with somebody who's HIV positive and then how that reflects on you. And so curious to know, like, what did you know about HIV before you met Ashley? Well, not much. I think like most heterosexual men, um, our, our understanding of HIV comes from, you know, Magic Johnson's diagnosis. I mean, I th you know, that's from anything that I knew about HIV, that's where, that's where my education started. So when Magic would come on, you know, I can remember when he was diagnosed and it was on the news. Um, and then, you know, he would frequently talk about it. That's about the extent of it. It just wasn't part of my world. You know, back to your point, uh, if, if it's outside the bubble, you know, you don't have exposure and you don't, you don't uh, seek knowledge about it. Mm -hmm. So um, it wasn't until Ashley revealed her, you know, diagnosis that I went and educated myself. Um, she obviously helped me through it. We talked a lot about it, but that's really when I started to understand really the HIV world and then what's, you know, how uh, the medical advancements and things that have happened since, you know, the, the, the early 90s when magic was uh, diagnosed. Okay. All right. Well, we got to go back to the conversation. So how did you guys meet? First? <laughs> so dun, dun, dun. It, it was, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. We met online um, at the time. It was about two years ago. We, yeah, we actually met online after I had moved back to Denver. Jim had no idea at the time what I was going through. Mm -hmm. um, but we probably met about three years after I was diagnosed. So I was starting to try and navigate the dating world. I, you know, I had reached the point of acceptance where I was picking myself back up and moving on um, and trying to, you know, form a solid life again. And that's when we had met online, uh, but we had never physically met in person at that time. Yeah, we had over over that course of the years, it just wasn't the right timing. Um, and over the course of the next couple of years, we kept in touch through social media, which was fantastic. So we would uh, communicate through direct message DMs and back and forth. But um, we right before the pandemic started, we went out on a date. Uh, we couldn't, everything was closed down. <laughs> we so sat we, outside and got started. Yeah, we just, we just had coffee. Uh, socially and, distanced. And that was the first time we met. And uh, I was... I was very excited to, to meet her uh, at the time. Uh, I didn't know what was going on in her life, but she wasn't, you had just ended a relationship. And mm -hmm. so she was kind of in a different headspace. And uh, I, I remember walking away going, well, that was not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't talk. Well, we, we, again, through social media, we talked, but we did not uh, date or anything for six or seven months. And then in October, just this past October. Yeah. I said, I was like, we've got to figure this out. We, you know, we have been back and forth for so many years. We've got to figure this out. And he I just, kept chasing me, Jen. He I, kept coming out. I was just, I was just very direct with her. I was oh. like, I'm, I'm not, I just want to, to understand if there's something there. So uh, we went on something our, between us. Yeah. And, and we went on our first date, I would say that was our real first date. We went to dinner and we had a really nice conversation. It was uh, uh, just, you know, hours of back and forth about life and families. And we knew we had something special, mm -hmm. but I was still a little bit reserved and standoffish. And I wasn't, I wasn't understanding that. So that, that was the, that was uh, nice for me on our second date to understand more, but she is a very reserved person. So I, I wasn't hundred percent confident she was interested in me. <laughs> Little did you know. Yeah. Yeah. There was this, there was this, uh, uh, question. Bomb, I was yeah, about yeah. To drop on you. So we went on our second date and, uh, we literally closed the restaurant down. We sat and talked and for we, over four hours, we sat there yeah, at dinner and it was awesome. The one thing I will tell you is I was noticing that Ashley was putting down the wine pretty hard. And I was like, man, that's <laughs> Yeah, drink. okay, well, people will soon find out why I was drinking. Yeah, yeah, exactly, okay, exactly. The nerves. Yeah, exactly. So we're walking out and they are vacuuming the floor of the restaurant. We're the only two people in. I still haven't told him yet. But oh I'm, my God. Okay, tonight's the night. Like it's, our last couple of dates have gone so well. I have yeah. to tell this guy because 
you know, it's, it's going to get serious and I don't want to waste his time. And we, I, I walked her to the car and I remember the moment she turned to me and she said, I have something to tell you. And Oh God. Literally yeah. <laughs> my, my heart sank. I was like, you've got, I thought she was married. And, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is not happening right now. And she's I, in an open relationship. Yeah. 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 She's got four of her boyfriends. And, and I was like, oh. and she looked at me and she said, I'm, I'm HIV positive. And I'm not going to lie. I was relieved. I was like, okay. Okay, this is okay. This is like, we can figure this out. And I remember my immediate reaction was just, I wanted to tell her it's okay. Like we're we're okay. My, my head was telling me, take a moment. Don't get, you know, don't, don't answer her too quickly. You need to go back and think about this. You need to go Mm -hmm. back and do some research and understand it. And that's what I told her. I said, I need to, I need to take a moment. I need to, I need to understand this a little bit more. Um, but I said, I said something to the fact, I don't think this is going to be an issue for us. And I laughed because it was so unromantic how I said it. <laughs> but at the same time, I was, I wanted to give her some confidence that I, I, I don't care is, is really what I was feeling at the moment. Well, and just for everybody listening, I have no idea what he said to me in that moment. It's <laughs> such a traumatic thing to disclose. That yeah. I don't actually remember what I said. I don't remember yeah. what you said. Yeah. The whole thing is like a blur in my mind. I just knew the whole night I knew I had to disclose and it was at the forefront of my mind. Yeah. And when I finally got to doing it, I just mm-hmm. blurted it out mm-hmm. because I was like, well, now or never. Did you I, go into any detail about what it meant to be HIV positive on medication or did, was that? I'm the pretty sure I did not. No, no, <laughs> we didn't. sure I did not. It was, it, it was, yeah. Cause it was late at the end of the night. <laughs> it's like 11 and, o'clock. And that was like the last thing we talked about. I remember getting in the, in my car, driving home and staying up all night, just doing research. And that's just kind of the person that I am trying to understand it. And uh, I was excited the next day to, to call Ashley and say, listen, I'm fine with this. I don't, I want to continue yeah. on with our relationship. I know exactly what he said. And he, I said, well, did you have some time to think about, you know, what I shared with you? And if you want more time, that's fine. But I was just, you know, sitting there on pins and needles waiting. And you said, I want your opinion on this, but I really feel like it's a non-issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Hell yes. Yeah. This is amazing. It just everything I read, if you know, if you go out and it is and, an honest. And really exactly. If you if you go out and do the research, it, it's just it's not a problem in today's uh environment. And so um, but it was one of those things where it's it's such an important topic and and for us, you know, in our relationship. I, I really did rely on Ashley to educate me a lot. I was like, am I missing something here? Should I be more concerned? Because everything I'm reading. I have zero concern yeah. about what it is. And uh, it was what I will give some advice to, to, to spouses or, or boyfriends who are coming into the situation in this early, these early stages. For somebody like me, um, I got very passionate about the research and understanding things and, and the medications and the treatments and all how it happened. And so I became... Um, I had so many questions and I wanted to, uh, and, and the, the person I could go to was Ashley. What I, I think you need to be a little bit careful about that because uh, when you, there's, there's the right time and the wrong time. And when you start bombarding somebody that's uh, HIV positive, there's times where I think you can bring them back to some of the trauma, traumatic moments mm-hmm. of when it happened. And there were times when I would ask questions when I felt it was the wrong time um, and I could see Ashley in my mind kind of regressing. She, she got quiet. She, 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 uh, one time she snapped at me. Uh, we were talking, I was talking to her about prep and I was like, I should do prep and this. And I can remember your reaction was, um, you can do whatever you want. That's your choice. Cause and I, I know, you know you didn't need prep. Well, and I also knew that I had touched a nerve, you know? So, you know, it's, it's, if you're, if it's Friday night and you're going out for drinks, probably not the right time to so bombard with questions, Yeah. but Saturday morning when, when uh, you're talking about some things, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's when you can ask them. So understanding timing and when it's appropriate in the beginning to, to, to ask these questions, I think is very important. So you did consider prep. I did. I, I really did. And, and, you know, I have, uh, I was previously married and I have kids and, and uh, I, 
I wanted to protect, make sure that not only Ashley was protected, but I was protected. And so there were all sorts of things that were going through my mind. And uh, as I became more educated about her particular uh, situation, I realized that that wasn't necessary and I didn't need it. Yeah. And for those that don't know, PrEP is just, it's Truvada, it's taking a pill a day and it just prevents the transmission mm -hmm. of HIV. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I, I can understand from Ashley's point of view, for sure, that <laughs> it's, it, if you went on PrEP and I would feel that way about Eric, then there's some doubt in your mind, you still think I'm a threat. So that's, yeah. that's the, right. yeah, it's a bad feeling because we don't want to feel like we're any different because truly we aren't. Like we know the percentage of this happening is 0.0. .0. It's, mm -hmm. it's the same as not having sex. That's what they say. U equals U is the exact same thing as abstinence. So it's the safest, right. honestly. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. Well, I'm going to ask because everybody always asks me, people get confused about you equals you. And they say, well, your husband still wears condoms, right? Even though, or he's on prep, right? I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like we don't have to use anything. And I always say, this goes for any kind of sex. This goes for men having anal sex. It could be the bloodiest sex possible. They're not going to transmit it because they'll say, oh, but there might've been a little bit of like this or that. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like you can, you, it doesn't, it's, that's how freeing it is. Anything you can do whatever. There are no stipulations to you equals you. It's just yeah. flat. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. There's no fine print. Right. Exactly. So are you, okay. So you don't, you don't wear condoms then? No, we, we didn't don't. even the very first time ever. We no, never wore condoms. I think, I think after, after, uh, that second date, um, after I told you, yeah, I went back and did the research and, uh, you know, we, I knew then that I was, I was fine with, I think it was the very it. next weekend. Yeah. The very next weekend we went away. Um, and that was our first. Yeah. He took me on this really cute overnight um date trip up to fort collins which is just like 30 minutes from our house it was really cute yeah um and he brought my dog so that i could feel comfortable not leaving him home mm -hmm. um but yeah that was the first time that we slept together and we, he asked me you know i don't remember exactly what you said but something to the effect of you know do you do you want me to wear a condom and i said well that's up to you <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i'm fine with it yeah. obviously yeah but um you know i have to be uh, aware of mm -hmm. his comfort level and he was like yeah screw that and honestly after that after that first week um you know we talk about it in uh it, we talk about hiv and how it affects us socially and the stigma and how we have to be careful about that but we don't talk about hiv in the way that it's a, a concern for our, our health at any way yeah or and our so, relationship and, at all. and we've never looked back on that and that's yes. been that's been awesome Yep. That's the same with me and Eric. I always say we talk about it as far as my advocacy, but we never talk about it with as far as my health. Like it's not, a, it's a non-topic. So it's the same with you. So then that probably answers my next question. You probably never freaked out in any way when you had a little sniffle or thought, oh God, maybe, maybe I did get it. Does, did that ever happen? No, it's, it's never, it's never uh, popped into my mind at all. Um, uh, you know, what we talk about with HIV now is, uh, Again, how we the stigma of it, how it affects our lives uh, that way, um, uh, in certain uh, lifestyle changes as far as you know how we eat or uh, uh, medications or supplements. We were talking about that the other day and how we mm -hmm. have to be careful with that with Ashley and how it can affect our medication, but never in the fact of of you know passing or contracting. Yeah. It. Yeah. No, we the honestly the biggest issue that we've had <laughs> regarding HIV, which is that only happened a couple of weeks ago. I travel for work uh, and they lost my luggage on uh, one of my flights out. And so that was honestly my biggest meltdown to date about having HIV because I was so worried about being out of town without my medicine. Wow. Uh, yeah. So oh, it yeah. like it, the, the way that HIV impacts my life is nothing to do with my health or changes like my daily habits or, you know, our habits as a couple nothing because I was already taking vitamins every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I was on birth control at the time. So I was already taking that daily. So to add one more pill to my regimen of, you know, like six or seven pills that I already take by choice, uh, it, it's the, it didn't change anything about my life. So right. it's all the stigma. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. I, I, that same here. Um, okay. So Jim, does, uh, anyone in your life know that you're dating Ashley and that she has HIV? Well, yes, they know I'm dating Ashley, but not HIV. I kind of, we, we've always looked at it as, um, you know, if, if it came up or we needed to discuss it, we would 
but it, it it's just not something that you you bring up on a regular uh you know when you're when you're out so hey by the way yeah <laughs> you know it's, it's the same thing i don't walk into a room and go hey i'm a heterosexual male i don't yeah. walk in and go hey my girlfriend is hiv positive right? but you know? i think if it came looking came up in conversation like with yep. our friends or something he would probably absolutely be yeah that. absolutely and 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 i think that uh, uh, that it will come up because I do think uh, back to the education of the general public, what we've noticed is people are not educated on HIV. There is a, a small population that has it and they, they have to live with it, but the majority of the population, it's not in their face every day. So they're very uneducated about it to the point where I have a young daughter. Uh, she went through the, um, um, it's called growing and changing where you, where you, um, sexual education in public. School. And there is nothing. I went back and looked at her, her, um, the curriculum. There's nothing about HIV in there, except that it's a, you know, something you can contract, Sexually. but no education about it. And so that's kind of where we've been uh, talking a little bit more about getting out. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily being extremely, uh, active, but, um, not ashamed anymore. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a big thing for, uh, boyfriends, spouses, um, for all the partner, the yeah. HIV negative partners, the change the, people with HIV, uh, there is a stigma and there's a little nervousness and it could affect your job and it could affect so many things in your life. Heck yeah. But, but for us being spouses or boyfriends, uh, we, we don't, we have a little more flexibility there. And I think when we talk about education and advocacy, I think it really does need to start, start that movements really starts with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're yeah. right. The education about it um, in today's educational system is just garbage. There's just yeah. nothing about it at all. Nothing. You know, kids are learning through um, it's just passed down through the generations, the stigma, and they're trying to learn on the internet, which is basically everything points to HIV. It's very negative on the internet. And, yes. Yeah. Um, so they don't really have anything positive to go on. Hopefully U equals U will start to filter in more, but you're right. The education about it is still terrible. There's really yeah. none out there. Okay. So I have a, I have a, and you're right. Also somebody, I had somebody else on my podcast who said, well, I'm not going to announce that I have hemorrhoids. Why do I need to tell somebody that I have HIV? It's nobody's exactly. business, you know? Yeah. So, um, okay. So with you equals you, and we know that the transmission is actually, it's impossible to transmit when you're undetectable. Um, how do you feel about people not disclosing their status to a potential partner? Because we know that they can't transmit it. Do you think that it's, they're always obligated to um, share that information or do you feel like like, how would you feel if Ashley didn't ever tell you, but then you found out later? Yeah, I, I would, it would have upset me. Yeah. I, I do think disclosure is very important followed with education. And, and if you're in the right environment with the right person, um, again, if somebody's going to leave you because you're HIV positive, they're going to leave you for, for some other reason. Right. Too. Like any health problem yeah. that you have down the road or a financial problem yeah. or, or yeah. whatever. It's, it's like anything in a, in a relationship. I think this is an important topic. It's something that if, uh, it's important in your life. And so anything, anything like that, I think you need to disclose yeah. on both sides. So, well, I look at it and I agree. I will say there were times in the past where I did not disclose and I know there's many opinions across the spectrum there, but I knew I could not give it to anybody. So I felt comfortable not disclosing. Mm -hmm. But when Jim and I started dating, I we weren't looking just to date. I knew right away that if this was going to be something, it was going to be a long-term and serious committed relationship. And so I knew I had to disclose because, you know, likewise, something as serious, if, if he didn't tell me he had children until a year later. I would probably be pretty upset about that because in some way that affects me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So while I had chose not to disclose several times in the past, at least right away, uh, I knew in this situation I had to. Yeah. I, I think to. it all depends on the situation. I know for myself, I, I don't think I could keep that in. I've never had this in my life. I, you know, Eric was right there and knew from the beginning. So I haven't, I've never been posed with this situation. I I'm asked a lot, you know, how do I disclose? And I said, my gosh, I've never had to do it. So I don't even know. I have no good advice about it, honestly, but I know in general, I believe that I would have to, I couldn't hold that in. I'd have to tell somebody, but I also believe that there are people that don't want to share their status. And I, to me, I think it's fine. It's like, if you feel like you can live like that and hold that in and not share that part of your life with somebody and you know you're not putting them at risk I don't see why somebody would have to disclose if they don't want to so I'm you know I'm definitely can see that 
it depends on the situation, you mm -hmm. know, and there are a lot of people that um, are, you know, having who knows one night stands and they just don't want to share the information because and they're not a threat. So it's really right. up to them. I feel that if they want to, but if you're looking at a long-term commitment, yeah, it's probably better to get that information out there because you don't want to be holding a secret forever. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the point. It's not really about HIV. It's just more if, if you look at somebody and it's a, it's, it's a, potentially a serious relationship. Um, it's, it's about something that's important in your life and, and disclosing it or talking about it. Um, you know, you always want to have that honesty. Yeah. Okay. So, and like I said, I, again, I have no experience with disclosure because I have not had to, um, but I asked Ella Dawson, who was on my podcast last week, who um, is a sex and culture critic. And she was kind of like the big um, YouTube TED Talk herpes girl. And yeah. she, you know, yeah. And so she had to, you know, her whole thing is talking about herpes and how she's disclosed. And I, you know, I said, well, what's the best way to disclose um, for an STI? And, you know, she, I liked what she said. She said, you know, don't frame it like a confession. You're not delivering news that someone died, you know, just explain. It's just, you know, it's something that you want them to know about you, but you're still really excited about them. She tried to like, kind of maybe, maybe put more of the focus on how much you're really excited to get to know them, but you need to know this part of me. I, HIV is a little bit different than herpes, but um, I'm curious to know, like, what would your thoughts be on, on how people should be disclosing or what, what's good advice about disclosing? Um, well, for me, I, I think early on, as quickly as possible, I think if we would have been three, four months into our relationship and she would have disclosed it, um, again, I think trust issues would have, would have entered my mind. Would you have felt, uh, that I had deceived you if I had, um, kept it private for longer? Yeah, think? I think, I think a little bit maybe deceived, but, um, uh, I, I, the, the honesty of it, you know, mm -hmm. would, would have affected me because Ashley, um, uh, disclosed so quickly. Um, it was almost something that brought us closer together in my opinion, mm -hmm. you know, it really was, it was a, it was a, a bonding moment for me. You <laughs> yeah. know, I just, like I said, when she said, you know, she was HIV positive, it was a relief, you know, almost. Your so, reaction uh, honestly was beautiful. And it, like, it choked yeah. me. Up. Like, I want to tell you, like, I <laughs> so, and you don't know how many people are going to hear how you reacted and how it's going to make them feel good because it's the yeah. scariest thing in the world to have to tell somebody. So oh my I got it is well in the, in the benefit is I will also say is I I'm, I'm a little bit older than Ashley. Mm -hmm. So my generation is even less educated mm -hmm. uh, about HIV. So uh, I think that uh, younger, younger men are probably more educated on, on what it is. Mm. No, <laughs> I'm going to tell you from dating experience that I, well, you would hope to be maybe a little more open about it. Maybe that's the better way <laughs> yeah. to put it. But um, so, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely, uh, I, I understand the concern, the reservation that uh, somebody's not going to understand or they don't want to be with me because of it. Uh, take that chance. I mean, you, you never know. It's, it's not, it's, it's probably not as uh, concerning to most men, if they really care about you, um, yeah. as, as you would think. And I think that's the key. When you have this, I had this uh, affection already for Ashley. <laughs> I was, I was all in and, mm -hmm. and there was really nothing that was going to stop me from wanting to Except me her. being married. Except me being married. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, if you were in divorce procedures, we probably could have figured something out. <laughs> <You're> like, well, <laughs> I love that your first thought was like, oh crap, she's married. Like that's so great. And yeah, to feel yeah. relief when she said she had yeah. HIV. I mean, that's just the best really. I, I was, I was like, I literally thought we could, I can figure this out. Like this is okay. <laughs> yeah. I think somebody else had told me that the, when they disclosed somebody had thought that they were going to tell them that they were like going to die or something like they had cancer. Like I don't have much yeah. longer. And then it was yeah. like a relief to hear, oh, that's all it yeah. was. Okay. Phew. You yeah. know? So. And, and now, now we almost, it's, it's, I, I think having HIV in the, in the stigma, you kind of immediately go into yourself. Right. And, and mm -hmm. Ashley explained it earlier that she did not, she disclosed it to one person and it took her over a year to trust even her family. My immediate family members. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now we're at a point where uh, we, it almost feels like, well, it is like we're in this together. Mm -hmm. And I know 
Oh, totally. That's, that's the only way I'm able to yeah. use my real name right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I feel like I have and so, like a shield. Almost. Yeah, and and so it's a journey now together with the, with your spouse. And I don't know if you have that with with yours, but mm-hmm. it, it definitely feels like we're in this together. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah, so yeah. He supports me a hundred percent, and I know that he's got people in his life that uh, they're quietly concerned, and he he's like, sure. he says that's their problem. You know, he's yeah. not. Yeah, fine. But he's I think scared. I think. I think that's where we as spouses or boyfriends can really educate and push that topic and say, you're concerned. Let's talk about it. Let me, let me, let me explain to you more. I want, if, will you, will you read these three things or. Can or, we have an open dialogue? Yeah. Can we have, but also, okay. You don't want to believe me. You're resistant to hearing it. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, when you see me still living and thriving in 35 years. Yeah. And having children yeah. and being prove everybody you, healthy. And, you wrong. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. If there's anything else you guys want to share, I, um, I just want to say, I'm so excited to share this interview and I think it's going to help so many people because it is for sure. The hardest part about having HIV is disclosure. There's it's the hardest part. It's not the virus. It's the stigma surrounding it. And then of course, disclosing on top of it. So disclosure is by far the hardest part of this virus. And, um, I think just you guys sharing your story today will help so many feel that they might have the more courage to be able to share. And, and I just thank you so much for coming forward and, and doing this. I really do. Thank you very much for having us. We've been excited all week to chat about it. So we're happy. Thank you for the invite. I really hope to give some some people, some confidence out there in relationships that, uh, um, you know, there, there are, it's not, it's, it's not a death sentence to your, to your dating relationship. No. Mm. And we will slowly, but surely change the stigma. Yeah. You just have to keep trying. I hope so. Oh, really quick. What do you think about a cure? I get this all the time. People ask me like, are you keeping up with on the latest on the cures? And I'm, I, I don't pay any attention because to me, I'm, I don't see this really happening. So I, I don't waste my energy on it. I just live my life right now and I feel fine. So I don't really think about it, but um, are you like hanging on to that and concerned and, or what are your thoughts? No, I share the exact same opinion as you. I don't keep up with any of that. Uh, Truly, the only time I really ever hear about it is when someone in one of our groups posts about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, I don't really care, honestly. As I said earlier, HIV doesn't actually affect my health at all. I have no health problems. I have no symptoms. I don't have any side effects of the medication. So I truly do not think about it ever. I don't think about it every morning when I take my medicine. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we openly talk about it. And even then it like, it's a really big non-issue for us. So, um, to hang on a cure is, wouldn't really do me any good because I have, I don't have any problems to be cured. I don't see it that way. So it would just, I think, make me think about HIV more than I really even need to, if I was trying to constantly be, uh, on the latest and greatest, um, cure journals and discussions and things, I think a vaccine or something more preventative would be awesome. And it would probably help the stigma in a better way because people would feel more protected instead of a more reactionary type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's really where the focus should be in, in helping people prevent it with education on U equals U and prep and anything else that might be out there instead of just strictly a cure for those of us that already have it, because those of us that are already HIV positive, we have a great way to manage it. So I don't see it as quite the crisis that it once was. Right. And they do say it's a manageable chronic condition today. I don't even like to use the word chronic. It's just manageable. I mean, it's just a little, I mean, as you know, we're people think HIV and they think we're full of it and it's like surging through our veins, but truly if we were to test for it, they can't find it. That's how this medication works. We literally hardly have it in our system anymore. So it's not like we're walking around with HIV glowing off of us. It's the test can't even find it. So it's hard, kind of hard. Like even if I was, if I I was HIV negative, I would hear myself say that and be like, really? Like it's hard to comprehend, but it it is true. We really truly are almost HIV negative. Truly. Yeah. It's just hitting in those reservoirs in our body. But you know, if you were to cut me open and test my blood, it's not like you would see me loaded with HIV right now. That's just not how it works with the medication that we have these days. Yeah. So thankfully we can live just a normal life. And yeah, people always say, you know, do you get colds more easily or do you have to be careful? I'm like, 
No, I like, and I put out a TikTok the other day about all the stuff that I do, my physical activities, and someone had posted on there saying, well, no, she does this stuff to keep her immune system in tip top condition. And I'm like, no, I don't. I do this stuff because I love it. I don't even think about my immune system. Like, thanks for talking for me, but uh, no, I don't travel for work. I mean, I'm in a, I actually still work in healthcare. I go to different hospitals all the time Mm -hmm. since January 1st of this year, I've been on 39 flights already. I'm in a different hospital uh, somewhere in the country every week. So I am exposed to more people than probably most of the population is in this disgusting, most unhygienic environments of all time through a pandemic. I've been traveling this whole time and I have not gotten sick. I have nothing has happened to me. Mm -hmm. I get it. I haven't been sick either. I'm hardly ever sick. I can't even remember the last time I was sick. I mean, I, I get a cold like every other year, maybe, but that's about it. Like I really so minor. So I really, yeah, I don't feel like I'm a sick person. It's not a big deal for us. Yeah, totally. All right, guys. Well, are you guys ready to get on with your, um, your Saturday? Yes, we are. We need more coffee now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you guys again for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And I know it's going to help a lot of people out there. So awesome of you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, guys. Well, go enjoy your weekend. Thank you. You too. Have a great one. Thanks so much. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you wouldn't mind giving me a quick rate and review, it will really help get the word out about my little stigma breaking podcast. I wish you all a fabulous week. Stay safe, stay beautiful. See you next Monday.